It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question at 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. You can also email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. You know, if there are two things that Bert Harper and I like to get across on Fire Away Friday, one, it's how wonderful the Word of God is, how just wonderful and relevant and life-changing the Bible is, but secondly, how much we sincerely appreciate each one of you listening and calling in. Those two things we kind of try to convey loudly and clearly, don't we, Bert? Let me tell you, since the show is exploring the Word, if we didn't do that with the Bible, it'd be... Kind of misleading, and also since we are called Exploring the Word, uh, it's not just us. It's those who call in that wants to know. So, Alex, it's so good. And by the way, you can send it, just as I said, at word at AFR.net, and we're getting a a lot of questions. As a matter of fact, we're working on a program right now next week where we will answer as many as we can but we're going to do that today and we're going to start off while you're calling that number 888-589-8840 that's 888-589-8840 while you're calling that let me ask you this we got a uh, an email from amy and uh, she was listening to some other teachers that were talking about two things one the King James Version, since there was no Middle Eastern people translating that, they didn't know the, the, the culture of, of the Middle East. And the second question was, since the Greek word that is translated carpenter, quote, in the King James, she wanted to know, she had heard that it actually means that of an architect or a builder, more likely uh, a stonemason. Well, Alex, the act, let me answer the last one first. The word tecton has the idea first of a craftsman. That is mm-hmm. the general, that's it, and you can use that word. But in particular, I looked up all the information I had, and it means carpenter, just like it's translated. Yes. Well, and do you know what, um, in, the, in Acts chapter 1, and I hadn't thought of this in a long time, but that word from which we get the word technical or uh, technique is in Acts, where it says that he had shown himself alive with many infallible proofs, Acts 1 verse 3. And infallible is specific, uh, intricate, uh, undeniable, empirical, and that's the word technon, which is like carpenter. And, you know, it reminds me, Bert, um, how God has... uh, given us everything we need to know salvation, to know Jesus. And regarding the King James, her question about that, you know, I remember many years ago reading an article about the the translation committee that um, the King James, that also is sometimes called the authorized version, uh, they were trying to put out a Bible that a lot of groups would find acceptable because it was so accurate to the text, the Church of England and the the Puritans and the Dutch Reformed and the, you know, all sorts of groups. And that's why I think for 400 years it has been so prominent and changed the world. And it's, you know, the question is not the ethnicity of the translator. The question is how proficient are they with the biblical languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Um, It's just like now, Bert, I was um, reading an article about a a biblical play in London just this week, and people are shouting and wanting it shut down because Old Testament characters were not all being portrayed by Middle Eastern actors and actresses. And the, the question is not the ethnicity of a of an actor and actress, the ethnicity of a translator. The question is, are you competent? And the King James Translation Committee was among the most competent linguists and biblical scholars that have ever been assembled. That is what I discovered. I remember first time we discussed that in college and then in seminary, and they went over those details and the qualifications. Yes, King James himself was not the greatest king in the world, and but he desired to do this, and just like God can use some 
<laughs> I, I'm just going to say evil people or people that are not quite measured up to what a good standard is, God can still intervene in their life and use them. And I would say that he did that with King James. Amen. Well, we're going to go to the calls. We're going to speak to uh, Mike in Arkansas on today's edition of Fireway Friday. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys, and I really enjoy your program. So my question is in uh, Exodus thirty-three eleven, where it says that the Lord talked to Moses face-to-face as a friend. Is that a Christology or a Christophany? Okay. I I would say this. It could not have been uh, God in all of his glory, because God already told Moses that he had to hide him in the cleft of the rock, put his hand between he and Moses as he passed by. So, Alex, we know there had to be, I'm going to use the word hiddenness there, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, God really, in his mercy, has to um, sort of temper the amount of disclosure, and that is a beautiful a beautiful um, verse there in Exodus thirty three eleven. I don't know if it was a Christophany. I mean, I, I don't know that we have enough to know that. At the very least, it was a personal revelation of God to Moses. Um, the, again, the... Um, Probably the definitive book on the Christophanies, the appearances of Christ in the Old Testament, is by James Borland, B-O-R-E-L-A-N-D, Christ in the Old Testament. He goes over every passage, and um, so I'm not going to say it is or it isn't. It's the, the most we can know, it's a revelation of God that Moses not only could understand, but frankly, survive. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would say that. By the way, we've got lines open, and that number is 888-589-8840. You want to give us a call, get your question in, uh, we'd love to hear it today. One other thing I would say about like, like Abraham, how did he hear the voice of God? I mean, here he was and out there, you know, uh, and God spoke to him. There's some mysteries here. There's some hiddenness in this. And uh, trying to detail that, uh, Alex, uh, I think you'll either lose your mind or <laughs> whatever. Mm. I don't think we ever are supposed to know some of this intricate part of God's revelation to us in those areas of mystery. Now, he makes salvation plain. Yes, he does. He makes known to us that he is the creator, that's plain. But on some of these conversations that he had in revealing himself, there's some hiddenness there. There is. Stephen, Louisiana, welcome to Exploring the Word. Yes. Yes, you're on, and you're a first-time caller, is that right? I'm a first-time caller. I'm very proud to be here. <laughs> well, well, we're, we're pleased to have you, my friend. I got a real question. All right. After tribulation and Jesus returns to earth with his followers, will he need plumbers, preachers, carpenters, and will we be driving automobiles? Or will some people be driving automobiles? Amen. Great question, Steve. Great question. Let me just tell you, part of heaven, uh, the Garden of the Eden, Eden was not that it was work. It was the making the work more difficult. Alex, this is just me, and you may have a different opinion. I can't imagine having the thousand-year reign of Christ without work because man's, uh, our identity, and I've made a big deal out of identity lately. You know that. Our, our identity as a creation of God is the hands that he's given us and the mind to use them for his glory and his honor. So I, I don't know to the every detail about that, Steve, but I, with all my heart, Alex, I think there's going to be some labor, but it's going to be joyous labor, not not the kind of difficulty that came because of the curse. That's right. Genesis three seventeen through 19 is the curse. Uh, notice work is not the curse. In fact, I think work is a blessing. Now you ask, will, there, will we need carpenters and plumbers? Um, I don't know, because our mansions have been built by Jesus. Isn't that something? He said he's gone to prepare a place for us, and that, um, you know, the mansions that Jesus has built for us are going to be just perfect. Now, Bert, I'm going to tell you, I love yard work. I love gardening. I love landscaping. And um, it can be toilsome 
you know, sometimes uh, digging out a root or things like that. But imagine in heaven, we're going to be busy, we're going to be productive, it's going to be so fulfilling, and um, none of the curse and the drudgery that that sometimes we experience down here. Good question, Steve. Thank you. We're going to go to Roy in Mississippi. By the way, folks, the number, 888-589-8840. If you'd like to get in on Fireway Friday, we'd love to have you. But Roy, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. Uh, My wife and I have been going over to my son's house and reading the scriptures with him and his wife and our granddaughter. Uh, We've gone through one chapter a week, we've covered John, Luke, and we're in Matthew. And just this past week, our granddaughter finally started reading the verses with us. So we were excited about that. But my question today was in Matthew 16 and verse 28. Jesus said, There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And we wanted an understanding of that whether it meant that they wouldn't have a physical death or what did it mean when he comes in his kingdom. Thank you, Roy. Mm. Alex, we don't have a lot of time. Go ahead, brother. We don't. Well, do you know what? I've had a number of skeptics ask me about this because obviously uh, Peter, James, and John eventually died. But I honestly believe this relates to Matthew 17 because immediately after this statement— uh, and it really means they're going to see this, the Son of Man in his glory displayed. And they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they did see that. If you read that uh, in Matthew seventeen five, I think was the fulfillment of Matthew sixteen twenty eight that Jesus, uh, at least momentarily, pulled back the veil of his humanity, and they saw the explosive brightness of his glory, Bert. That's what I think that was speaking of. I agree with you. Now, listen to this. There's several previews of what's going to take and be following at Jesus' revelation, and this is one of them, the preview of him in all of his glory. Uh, We've had the preview of when Jesus was crucified and we had those that came out of the graves and walked around for a while. Again, a preview of what's going to happen. And so what you see in, in the book of Matthew here and others is some snippets of what's coming in all glory, Alex. Uh, it's exactly. going to be glorious, isn't it? It really is. In fact, the word there in Matthew sixteen twenty eight means lighting. They're going to see the light the brightness of his coming kingdom. Well, this is Exploring the Word. We're going to take a brief break. Stay tuned. Your questions when we return. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on healthcare costs is so frustrating. But here's some great news. If you miss the December 7th deadline for open enrollment, it's not too late. Here's something that can really help. It's MediShare 65+. plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills. It's people who encourage and pray for each other, too. MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. Plus, it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor or get 24-7 telehealth access from the comfort of your home. So worth looking into. MediShare 65 Plus is open for enrollment. And if you join right now, before January 31st, your second month will be free. So don't miss this chance. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. In our busy culture, time can be even more precious than money. So how do you invest it? Dr. Tony Evans says it comes down to a question of what you value. He'll explain today as we spend two minutes with Tony. In every football game, there's only about 17 minutes of actual contact. But those 17 minutes are in a one-hour game. So every game is slated for one hour, but you're only going to see 17 minutes worth of action. But you got to sit three hours to watch one hour to see 17 minutes. If you drive to the game, it's going to take you a couple of hours to get there because you got to drive through all the traffic. You got to park. You got to walk. So that's five hours to sit three hours to watch one hour to see 17 minutes. Then you got to drive home. You got to walk to the car. You got to work through the traffic. Now that's about seven hours to sit for three hours to watch one hour. 
to see 17 minutes. And then on top of that, they're going to tithe to get in to the service. And going to not complain about the cost and going to not say, oh, all the Cowboys want is my money. What have the Cowboys done for you lately? But God gets you up every day. He provides all of your needs. He satisfies many of your desires. And you're going to tell me worship is that much of a problem? People will not even see rain. They will hear it's going to rain and decide I'm not going to worship, but they're going to go to work tomorrow borrowing from God's air, oxygen, and provision. Learn why everything we have comes from God and what He wants us to do with it. Check out Tony's CD series, Kingdom Stewardship, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. I would love to listen to the rest of this song, but we're trying to get to as many calls today as we can. So, Matt, Alex, I'm throwing it back to you. Where do we go to next? Oh, the great state of Virginia, Wendell in Virginia. Welcome to the American Family Radio Network. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Good evening. Just want to start with, uh, you all are are such a blessing. Uh, I get the honor of listening to your ministry every day, coming home from work, and uh, it really is the highlight of my day because now I'm done with work and I get to listen to the Word, and you all are both uh, such an inspiration, and so I I pray the Lord continues to bless your ministry. Thank you. Thank you, Wendell. Thank you, sir. Yes. My my question is regarding the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. So if when Jesus had gone to pray— and he came back uh, what, three, two, three times, and the, the four disciples had fallen asleep. Um, how do we know what the words were to his prayers that got recorded in the gospel? If everybody else was sleeping, who was there to record his, his verbiage? Okay, great thought, Wendell. Let me just share with you, that's not the only place that you have this. You have some conversations that were going on, and... This is why it's called the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, he would reveal to that that which was not known by them. He could reveal to them. In other words, let me sh- share this, Alex, and see if you agree with my terminology. You may, if you don't, he, the Holy Spirit could fill in the blanks. Yeah, You know what yeah. I mean? They, they heard, but, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit was there, and he could fill in the br- blanks for them, couldn't he? Yeah, he could. And, you know, in John chapter 14, uh, 26, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit of God would remind you of all things whatsoever I've told you. And so Jesus, you know, we've often said this, he affirmed the Old Testament and he made provision for the New Testament. So um, it and and also, you know, like Luke um, interviewed people and he said that not only did he have perfect understanding from above, uh, from the Holy Spirit, but he uh, did an investigation and talked to people. So I think, um, like you say, Bert, it's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the words God wanted, which would include some of Christ's dialogue and prayer from the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, God, the Holy Spirit, gave it to the Gospel writers. That's a great, great question. It was. Uh, Carl in Texas. Carl, welcome to the program. You're on. Hey, how you guys doing? First-time caller. Hey, man. Welcome. Yes. Thank you so much. You guys, man, you made me chuckle today. and makes me happy to know that there are people out there bringing God's Word in. So God bless you guys. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. What I'm feeling today is that most people are forgetting that they're supposed to do joyful work. You're supposed to go to work joyfully, bring joy into your life, not happiness. If you got happiness in your life, you're a bubblegum-chewing fool. (laughs) <laughs> you gotta have joy in your in what you do, and I think that's what people are going to experience when the rapture's here. We're going to be working, but we're going to be working joyfully. Plumbers, carpenters. I'm a carpenter. I'm a cabinet designer for thirty years. I Amen. know electricity. Electricity. I know water. But you got to go joyfully in what you're doing. If you don't, you are messed up, and you are missing yeah. it. 
So we're going to be building stuff for God and glory, and Jesus is going to be right there with us, rolling up his sleeves. So amen. I'm looking forward amen. to the rapture. Amen. God bless you. Amen, and, Carl. You know, Carl, I'm with you. Work is a blessing. I mean, it really is. Don't you think so, Bert? It is definitely. Work as unto the Lord. Serve as unto the Lord. Servanthood is a blessing. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And he is the example. We're to serve one another. In God's kingdom, the highest position is servanthood. Now, that, that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. So those of us have, who've had leadership ability, I hope we do it with a servant's heart. But, Alex, Amen. with all my heart, I believe we're going to be standing in line to some of the people that served and got no recognition. You mm. and I, we get people just like Carl saying, what a blessing we are that we're doing this. And we hear that. That's not why we do it. We do it as under mm. the Lord. But there's people out there that serve those that are hurting beyond measure. And it, But God takes notice, doesn't he? He does. Mark ten forty four. the one who is greatest among you is the servant of all. What a great reminder, Carl. Thank you. Steve in Texas. Steve, you're on Exploring the Word, brother. Hello. Uh, first of all, uh, I enjoy this program of the questions and answers on the air. And I have to confess, I've used a couple of the questions and answers in my adult Sunday school class. <laughs> okay. Please do. Please do. That, listen, yes. uh, I, let me tell you about something real quick. It won't take a minute. I was preaching a sermon, and this young guy came up and said, man, I enjoyed that sermon. I'm going to take it and do something with it. Now, <laughs> if you catch, so Steve, <clears throat> take what Alex and I give you, and you do something with it, brother. Go right ahead. <laughs> okay. My question was, and I've had this question posed to me, and I'm, I'm looking for a biblical answer for it. Uh, I've had people, and you may have heard this, some people think that Jesus on the cross was a symbol. But I'm I'm trying to get across to some people that that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he felt the same pain that I would feel if they would nail those nails in my hands and my feet. And I, I'm yeah. I'm trying to to uh, find a way to express that and uh, biblically. Okay, Steve. You let me say it first. You are absolutely right. Uh, Jesus, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He wasn't just uttering that to. Old Testament scriptures, he was experiencing that right then. He was experiencing the pain, the physical pain, but the anguish of him taking our place on the cross, Alex, I believe that was the greatest anguish. Yeah, and you know, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says that our high priest, Jesus, was touched with the feeling of our infirmities in all points like we, yet without sin. And, you know, um, whether it be the, the sweating of blood in the garden, being nailed to the cross, the crown of thorns, in his humanity, he absolutely had a, a central nervous system. He felt the pain, and uh, Bert, you know, it's just immeasurable, the pain that he endured. So he didn't, just because he was God incarnate, um, give himself a pass. He And that that's why folks like the Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, um, Jesus truly understands what you're going through. Emotional pain, physical pain, anguish of soul, you can know that Christ truly does understand. Uh, Seth in Oklahoma. Seth, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Okay, Seth, we're having very hard time. Let me repeat what our screener said. Love always mm. believes, and I love my child, but I don't always believe her. I've never had anything quite like that. So sorry about the connection. It was bad. Alex, uh, what, what about know, that passage in 1 Corinthians? Well, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which I would urge people to read often because it is just so rich. But it says, of course, in verses um, – four and following, love suffers long, does not envy. And there is the uh, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love believes all things. Now, it doesn't mean that we're gullible and we just believe everything, but it really means believes the best about somebody unless proven otherwise. And Bert, I know in raising children, sometimes we have to correct and we have to call out I mean, people of all ages, sometimes we have to call them out on their error, but we do it always redemptively. Amen. Uh, but, Bert, I have found, and I, I trust people, that is my default position, 
and about once per decade I get burned pretty badly. But I have found 99% of the time believe the best about people. And once in a while, you'll have to go back and uh, and talk to them. But I, I've, in my experience, when First Corinthians thirteen so believe believes the best about people unless proven otherwise. Do you I, find that? I true? agree with you fully. Uh, but do that with caution. Know sure. that you're dealing with a human being. When you're in church, if you're looking for the perfect church and you find it, don't join it. You'd ruin it. Okay, now, I say that for Burt Harper more than anyone else. Listen, no, we deal with humanity, and we're dual-natured. Even after salvation, I still have that, uh, what Paul called the carnal nature. And, uh, yes, those things I want to do, I find myself not doing. And those things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Alex, he said, oh, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so yeah. it's a battle, but it's a battle that can be won, isn't it? It's not, we don't throw in the towel and say, hey, I'll live anyway. No, we follow Christ all the way. Amen. Amen. Jim in Texas. Jim, <clears throat> welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. I just wanted to say, uh, just a comment, I sympathize with that lady who called in earlier with the question about Joseph as to whether he was a carpenter or a stonemason or whatever. I went to a Bible scholar's lecture one time where he made that same statement. He said, he said there was no wood in Nazareth and Joseph was a stonemason. But, you know, there's a, the, the Gnostic Gospels, I know they're unreliable for, any, for much of anything, but they do reveal some traditions in that time period about, about uh, St. Joseph. And one of the Gnostic Gospels, I think it's an infancy gospel, probably written in the 200s, has a story about Joseph sawing lumber. So clearly there was a uh, tradition very early in the church by Greek-speaking people that uh, Joseph was a carpenter. Okay, great. Jim, thank you for that call. Let me say this, Alex. The caller that came in said, <clears throat> you know, Jesus is the, he laid the chief cornerstone. That right. was, you know, saying that. Well, let me sell about carpenters. It was, uh, I forgot which one of the guys called in. It, yeah, it was Carl from Texas. He was talking about he was a carpenter. He did cabinet work, but he also knew how to do electricity. He knew carpenters are varied. They know they not only work with wood, they have to work with the stones that they put the wood on. So, listen, you're looking at a craftsman, but I, I still think it is carpentry. But he, uh, you know, before the carpentry is built, the chief cornerstone is laid, isn't it, Alex? Well, it is. And, you know, the word can mean craftsman or artisan. It's like you said, the word tecton. But uh, carpentry goes back to the very beginning, you know, building um, from the cutting the wood and making the ark to the wilderness tabernacle. So, Wood definitely has always been a part of the building materials of the dwellings in the Middle East. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with the, the Bible tradition that uh, Jesus was born in the house of a carpenter. And I think that um, that's appropriate. God is a creator. And he, Colossians says that by Christ were all things created and by him all things consist. Isn't it something that God the creator, when he took on a human body, would be born into the the home of one who makes things. Amen. Uh, just perfect, perfect placement there. And he would uh, die on a tree. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, exactly. I, I think the whole from the beginning to the end and is that. Go ahead, Alex. Chase in Arkansas. Chase, welcome to the American Family Radio Network. Oh, hey. Um, I got really bad uh, ADHD and OCD, so it's kind of nervous. <laughs> hey, you're <laughs> for talking. Me to be, uh, talking. Chase, you're talking to one of the hosts that has a lot of those symptoms. I'm just telling you. Go ahead, man. Yeah, I'm not joking. Um, Hyperactivity and uh, just go ahead. What's your question, brother? Um, so I've been dealing with uh, uh, a lot of different denominations, and one of them that really put me in a dark place was uh, Calvinism and. I was wondering if John uh, chapter 6, verse 44, uh, let me see what it was. No, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent, 
sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day, if that supports Calvinism. Okay. It supports this for sure. And, Alex, you finish it real quickly. It supports that salvation is from God. We mm-hmm. cannot determine when and where. That is God's determination. It's a free gift, but it's his deter- determination. And that's why today is the day of salvation. Today, when you know that Jesus Christ is pricking your heart with, with sin, I want to tell you, Alex, that is the time. It's dangerous to say no to God one time, isn't it? It is. You know what's so interesting in John six forty four. Uh, it says, no man comes unless the Father draws him. And regardless of what you think about election, Armenian or Calvinist or just, you know, whosoever will may come. Bert, I know if a person is at a position to believe in Jesus, it's not the world, the flesh, or the devil. That it's It's God. Now, what God doesn't do, God doesn't override our free will. Very interesting. I've got to say this. I'll say it quickly. John six forty four, where it says, unless the Father draws him. And the word draw in the Greek is the word it means to unsheathe like a sword. In other words, a sword, when you pull a sword out of a sheath, you're bringing it to a position where it can experience what it was made for. And every one of us was made for a relationship with God. Now, God doesn't force it, but when the Lord opens our eyes, we realize we're sinners. The Lord gave his life for us. Uh, We're at a position that we can experience our purpose, which is to open our heart to Christ. Chase, that's a really good question. Let me say this. If there's someone out there that is conviction right now, am I saved? Do I need to be saved? There's partners that we work with, and we give their number quite often. 1-800-NEED-HIM. 1-800-NEED-HIM. You can call them. They will pray with you. They will help you to come to the place in your life where you can know that you know. Because the book of 1 John says, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. And, Alex, that is the truth. We can know that. And we're going to get back to the phone calls here. We got Albert and Lorraine waiting. That means we got about Hang three. Hang on, we'll get to you. Yeah, we got about three lines open, so we'd love to hear your call. We're going to try to get to as many as we can today here on Exploring the Word, and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this break. Friendships is offering an exciting opportunity for young adults who want to grow in their walk with God, become physically fit, and learn relief ministry while serving in the Middle East. This is an amazing opportunity to serve God and experience Israel. Check out Seahawks one-year scholarship program at friendships.org or call 337-433-5022. That's 337-433-5022. The next session begins August 19th. Whatever you're going through, don't take it as the evidence that God doesn't love you, but embrace it as the realization that you are one of His children and He loves you. And then take hope and knowledge in this truth. He is with you. Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series, God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where is the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible. And we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit, and it's completely free, and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the Host an Event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. 
My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The scripture teaches that God has sovereignly determined the boundaries of our habitation and the appointed times in which we would live. That means the fact that you live right now in the United States of America in the 21st century following the November 2020 elections, it's not a mere coincidence. It is the time and place that God has appointed for you. This isn't a time to shrink back. It's our moment to contend. May the remnant arise to meet our moment. In Jesus' name. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Exploring the Word, coming to you live Monday through Friday on the American Family Radio Network. So glad you're listening. The number, if you've got a Bible question, we'll do our best to get to it on today's edition of Fireway Friday. The number is 888-589-8840. We'd love to hear from you right now. We'll hear from Lorraine in Texas. Lorraine, welcome to the program. Hi there. Um, I've got a two-part question, and the first part is, When you're reading the Old Testament, how do you know the passage that you're reading is one of prophecy? And then the second part of the question is, do you have any uh, recommended resources for future study? Oh, wow. Alex, the prophecy, sometimes it is difficult. It's even no, but, uh, you know, some of it is clear. Some of it, did it take place? And some of it's immediate prophecy that's going to happen, like, uh, Jerusalem falling, different things like that. And some of it is prophecy concerning uh, the tribulation, concerning the the return of Christ. So, Alex, uh, how do you determine the difference? Well, I think it's uh, questions about the coming Messiah, uh, questions about the nation of Israel, and questions about the future kingdom. You know, and so we might ask ourselves, you know, has this happened in the life of Jesus? Has this happened in the life of Israel? And Bert, one of the great uh, prophetic writers was a man named uh, J. Dwight Pentecost. Uh, what a great name for a Bible scholar, Pentecost. <laughs> Does that name ring a bell? Oh, man, I got his books. Yes, I did. That was some uh, of the first prophetic books I ever written, uh, read was by Dwight J. Pentecost. Yes. Yeah. Um, another great writer that I would recommend, um, and I know I throw a lot of names out there, but Harold Wilmington, just like the city, uh, Dr. Wilmington, a book that is so wonderful is called Wilmington's Guide to the Bible, and it was published by Tyndale Publishers, T-Y-N-D-A-L-E, Tyndale, and Wilmington, Pentecost, John Walvard, he's one more. They're great, and I I applaud you studying prophecy because there's so much that has been fulfilled, but even so much that will be fulfilled. Let Uh, me me say one more word about that. It won't take me but a second. Let me just share this with you. This is why eschatology in the book of Revelation sometimes is so difficult, and you have varying people say what it is, because there's been tribulation all through the generations. It's like John says— the Antichrist is coming. That's capital A. But into then, there's going to be a lot of Antichrist, many of them, and that's plural. So tribulation, tribulation is taking place in North Korea right now. Tribulation is taking place in the Sudan right now, in Iran right now. So we have those pictures of it. But it seems to Alex and I both look at it, and it seems like it'll be a worldwide more so. Uh, but there's others say, no, it's not. But it is, we know the future about this, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is coming back physically to take his own to be with him. Now, I want to tell you, you, you can look at all the other things, and it's good to do that. It's, I'm not saying don't do that. But that's the one you always come back to, Alex. Am I saved? Am I right with God? And I know Jesus is coming back. He reigns. He's at the right end of the Father, waiting for the Father to say, Son, go get my children. Albert in Texas. Albert, welcome to Explore the Word. Hey, hey, Violence. Nice talking to you. Uh, I got a question for you. Um, 
I was reading in, a, in Exodus, and I believe God told Moses about seven or eight times, you know, to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then as I read, on, read further on, right around uh, towards the end of it, uh, when Moses was up in the mountain and the people were uh, just going crazy and partying and dancing, you know, God told Moses, you know, your people that you brought out of Egypt. I mean, to me, it was kind of like when when Adam told God, you know, hey, this woman that you gave me, you know, gave me the fruit. So I was wondering, why did he say your people that you brought out of Egypt that if he'd been saying let my people go. Albert, great question. I have a sermon on that, Alex. It's called Unclaimed People. You've heard of unclaimed baggage? Uh, matter right. of fact, over in North Alabama, there's a business called Unclaimed Baggage that they get. During that period of time, God said, man, I'm not going to claim them. Moses said, well, I'm certainly got not going to claim them. Uh, I won't say it was an argument, but I don't mean to laugh, but I, I find humor in the scripture, and I find that one a little, a little humorous, Alex. That man, God didn't even want to take them, and Moses didn't want to take them. Uh, that's how bad they'd gotten, wasn't it? Well, that's right. And you know, in Acts seven, it's interesting. In the New Testament, Moses is called the deliverer, and we know that God did it, but God did it through Moses. And you know, it's like Philip, the evangelist, and yet. Elsewhere, the Holy Spirit is called the evangelist. But isn't it something that, look, God does the work. God is the one that accomplishes things, but we get to participate in the work God is doing. Well, uh, Ed in Kansas, welcome to Exploring the Word, Ed. Good to have you. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm interested in rocks and all that such and uh, fossils, and I was just curious, biblically, how old is the earth? Okay, great question. Yeah. Uh, we, we covered part of this in the book of Proverbs because it talks about before the beginning of the earth. So we had some matter, space. Uh, Alex, we had all that before in time, but it's is it 7,000 or 8,000? What would you say? You know, biblically, honestly, the earth is six to 10,000 years old. Now, believe me, I'm keenly aware that the typical secular answer is that this planet is four and a half billion years old. But I was just reading on a secular science website, says the age of the earth is surprisingly difficult to pin down. I would urge you on this question, folks, uh, keep an open mind and, and surf answers in Genesis. Some of the best scholars, Bert, believe me, I know it runs against the science we might have been taught in college, but I think the the evidence is compelling for a young earth, as the Bible says, rather than billions of years old that Darwinian evolution predicted. Well, let me just say one thing. We'll go to the next caller. There's so many things wrong with Darwinian evolution that if they would look at it— the way they try to look at creation and shoot holes through it, they would shoot holes through through evolution. They haven't found mm-hmm. that transitional element yet. They have yeah. not, everything is based upon mutations. Alex, that's got to yeah. be. And mutations is changing from that in that species it mutates. Mm-hmm. But usually, what happens in the next generation? I'm an old farm boy, and I saw mm-hmm. some mutations happen with our animals that we had. But guess what happened when that per, that animal had a mutation? gave birth to another animal, it went yeah. back to the what it was to begin with. Yeah. And, and yeah. God's DNA has provided for correction in all of that. Uh, Candace in Illinois. Candace, thanks for holding. You're on. Yeah, hi, guys. Um, appreciate you taking my call. Um, my husband and I both listen to you. My husband listens to you almost as much as he can. And I was just wondering if I could just ask for prayer. Mm. Our son is going through some issues right now, and we just would like to have some extra prayer. Amen. Listen, it's not if, Candace, as parents. It's when. And we're going to have a whole lot of people praying for you. So write Candace's son down, those of you that are mm. prayer warriors, right, and let's bombard heaven, not just 24 hours. Let's do it this whole weekend. Father, I pray for Candace. I pray for her husband. Thank you that they trust the audience and us enough that they would call and say, we are desperate 
for God to intervene. And I pray mm. for their son, God, yes. that you would show yourself to him in such a real way that regardless of the mental situation, the doubt, the hurt, that he would turn to you. You are yes. the one, and there's no one like you. You're the one that can bring peace in the midst of the storm. You're the one that can bring hope in the very pit. You're the one that gives us that. And, Father, we pray that you'll give them the victory in Jesus' yes. name. Amen. Amen. Candace, thank you for sharing that. Bless you. Uh, Ron, uh, Ron, thanks for holding. You're on Exploring the Word. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me, and, and God bless y'all for what y'all do. Uh, my question is, I, I read through the, I was reading through the Old Testament. I got into the New Testament, got up to Acts and Romans, and after the resurrection of Christ, was there a significant event uh, that has caused a lack to me? A lack you don't see the miracles that you saw when the apostles and Stephen and all these people went out and were preaching the word of God. Is there a significant event or anything uh, mentioned that talks about a transition? Ron, because thank you, thank you, I, Ron. Uh, let me just take a stab at this, Alex. You add on to it real quickly in the Book of Acts you will find miracles happening in pods. I'm going to use that word because um, Peter could, Paul could, and they were doing it. But most of those miracles that came in groups or bunches happened at a transitional time when they were going into Samaria, when they were going into Ephesus, when they were going into Europe. And that is still taking place today. I want to share that with you, Ron. I hear these testimonies of missionaries that are going to unreached people groups. They don't have the word of God in their language, but the missionaries are going and preaching Jesus and some great healing. And when you have the word of God, like we have it in America, we're to trust him because we have the word of God. It's God is more interested in our character than he is our comfort. But these signs, especially in the book of John, they were written that people might know that he was the Christ and they'd believe on him. Wasn't that right, Alex? Absolutely. You know, I believe God still does miracles, and there's there's an old saying, Bert, that God's level of blessing rises to our level of expectation. And I think if we're desperate for God here in America, we could see the miracles. We really could see the miracles that very often we see and hear of in the, uh, in the mission fields. So let's remember that our God, our God can do anything he's ever done, and uh, we, we certainly need him here in America at this time. Dwayne in Texas. Dwayne, you're on Exploring the Word. Oh, yes. Is this uh, Mr. Dwayne in Texas? You got yeah, it, man. First-time caller. Thank you, Dwayne. Yeah, first-time caller, three-year listener. Hey, uh, thank y'all guys for all the education. Um, I just got a quick question. Um, I wanted to know, why is communion taken, and why is it taken in some churches and not others? Okay, great mm. question. Hey, let me yeah. give you the, the general answer. You do show the Lord's death that he comes when you partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, that's straight out of the Scripture, isn't it, Alex? It will, Yes. In 1 Corinthians 11, folks, I would urge you to, to read this and meditate on 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. One of the reasons we do it, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When it, This is not original with me, Bert, but it's been said, when we take the, the Lord's table, we look backward, we look inward, we look upward, and we look outward. We think back on what he did, and we look at our own heart. We examine yourselves and see if ye be in the faith. And then we look up and do this till he comes, and we look outward at how we can serve. And so I, I really think the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, communion, call it what you will, is a very intimate, meaningful thing to keep us close to Christ. Don't you, Bert? Amen. Paige Patterson, a great theologian. He was president of two seminaries, and there was some lies that came up about him, but he is a good, godly man with all my heart. I believe that. But he said if we would partake of the Lord's Supper the way we should, we would stay in a constant state of revival. And it Amen. makes sense. We're to what? Confess our sins with one another. Get right with one another. You're showing the Lord's death and all the things you said. So, Alex, mm. uh, that's a great question. Thank you so much, Dwayne. Daniel in New Mexico. Daniel, uh, welcome to the program. 
Yes, I was asking, I wanted to ask a question about following, submitting to our governmental authority because they are ordained by God. Uh, yeah, let, let me let me jump in on this, if you don't mind, for a second. You know, in Romans 13, 1 through 7, and Daniel, uh, think about this. The, the, the governmental authorities, even though very often here lately we disagree with some of their positions and everything, um, they are instituted by God for keeping order. Uh, Romans 13 even indicates that the authorities are ministers of God. Now, Bert... Uh, civil disobedience, when is it justified? If the government is forbidding us to be Christians and disciples, like when they wanted John MacArthur to not have church. I, well, I, I already like John MacArthur, but <laughs> the way he held church during COVID, he became a hero. But Bert, as long as they're not compelling us to go against the Bible, are we to obey authorities? We are. It, when they told Peter and John, don't speak anymore. They said, we can't help but speak and share the things that we've seen and heard. And they did it. And guess what they did? They went back and did the same thing that got them into trouble the first time. There mm. are times that way. There is. and uh, But we need to pray for our authorities anyway. We pray for them. And that's what we're trying to do. And I pray God that he, things would change. Kelly in Texas. Kelly, um, go ahead, please. Uh, yes, I was wondering, um, biblically, is it okay to date, marry someone who um, they claim to be a Christian, they grew up in the church, they were baptized, but through life experiences they've kind of strayed, and they're not quite sure if Jesus is the Messiah, yet they consider themselves a Christian, which uh, mm. there's a lot of secular beliefs in it, and I just want to know... Um, uh, Go ahead, Alex. We don't have a lot of time. Go ahead, Alex. You know, be, be careful. Second Corinthians six fourteen talks about not being unequally yoked, and um, you know, I got to tell you, the foundation for a successful marriage has got to be agreement in so many things, but especially God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, Bert, what yeah, do you I, say, I, Kelly? I, I don't mean to be mean, and I hope it doesn't come. You're playing with fire when you do that, because. Can two be yoked together and not be agreed? Uh, we don't need to do that. Trust Christ. Let God bring that person into your life. Uh, don't be afraid to wait on God to change that man or bring you someone else. Don't get in a hurry. Alex, we call. We got 19 questions today, brother. Well, praise God. And folks, tell somebody about Exploring the Word. Most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.